You are listening to a message from The Political Pastor. Each week, The Political Pastor expounds the Word of God to his local congregation. These messages are made available to you in podcast on thepoliticalpastor.com as well as other popular podcast platforms. Visit thepoliticalpastor.com and click on the podcast link at the top to find our full listing of podcasts. There is nothing like a person so resolute as to march determined to their certain death. Many would delay or drag their feet, yet Christ resolutely led the way as he set his focus firmly on his mission. Though his mission was one of agonizing pain, separation, and death, it was ultimately a mission of victory. Join us in Mark chapter 10 verses 32 through 34 as the pastor delivers the message on a mission of victory. And as the Lord would have it, um, this is just where we're at in our preaching series uh, through Mark. And um, on this Resurrection Day, we are right here talking about that very message from this passage. So um, that's just the sovereignty of God on display. Mark chapter 10. Let's begin our reading in verse number 32 this morning. Bible says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You know, there is nothing like a person so resolute that they would march straight to their death. Many, if they knew they were going to be facing death, might drag their feet a little bit or try to stall. Definitely wouldn't be in any hurry. Yet Christ resolutely led the way back to Jerusalem as he had set his focus firmly on the mission that was at hand. And though his mission was one of agonizing pain, of separation from the Father, of death, Ultimately, it was a mission of victory. This mission of victory was a mission for Christ of determination. It was a mission that would take him to a place of condemnation, but it was a mission that would end in his resurrection. So this mission that Jesus was on, that he had resolutely set his face toward, was a mission of victory. And that's what I want to talk about a bit from the Word of God this morning, is being on a mission of victory. We're looking at Christ's mission here. And in this passage, he tells his disciples what is about to take place. This is now the third time that we've discovered in this book of Mark where Christ has told his disciples what was to come and what he was going to face. This particular time actually includes some more details that's not found before, but he goes into great detail telling his disciples what is about to come to him, what he is going to endure. 
Jesus knew what he was facing. So this mission of victory, first of all, was a mission of determination. A mission of determination. In verse 32, our text, we're told that they were on the road. That's Jesus and his disciples. This was probably more than just the 12 by the language that you see here. There were others that were also following, including the 12. But they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Now, we see this picture as Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem. This is going to be the final time that they're going to head to Jerusalem. And as he's going there, we find that Jesus walked ahead in determination. It was Jesus who was leading the way now. He was out in front of the group. He was probably not necessarily engaged in all the conversation that they were engaged in because he was moving forward with a look and an attitude of sure determination. He was resolute. You might see the picture of a military leader who was leading his troops into battle. This is where Jesus was on this occasion. He was out front. He was leading. He knew the direction. He knew the mission that was ahead of him. He wasn't waiting behind He was leading the way, not of troops who would rise up to fight physically at this point, because he knew at this time this was his mission to go to the cross. It's why he would later tell Peter to put that sword away. He was determined to do the Father's will. And so as a good leader, he was out front on the trip back. He was focused. You know, Jesus didn't ask any of us to walk where he himself has not walked. We follow in the footsteps of our Savior. The disciples that day, Jesus didn't push them ahead to go on into the battle or to prepare the way. He was focused and he led the way. And the walk that he walked in determination is the walk that his disciples would follow in. It's the walk that we must follow in as well. So Jesus walked ahead in determination. But his disciples, they were amazed and frightened by this determination. You notice in verse 32 again, we're told that Jesus was walking ahead of them, but it says of the disciples, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. So you see two terms here, the terms that indicate that these disciples were amazed and fearful. They were terrified all at the same time. They had never seen or experienced anything like this before. None of this was making sense to them. Jesus knew what was awaiting him, and yet here he is, out front, leading the way, determined to go, And the disciples see this determination, it frightened them. They were amazed. Never seen anything quite like this. So Jesus, in this passage, taught his disciples the source of his determination. Notice again in verse 32 that he then took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. That's the key to why Christ was so focused and Christ was so determined at this point. Disciples who are amazed and fearful are about to learn now why Jesus has set his face in this direction and why there is no deviation from the course. 
He's determined because he already knows what is about to take place. Because it says that he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. For him to tell them what was going to happen to him implies that he knew what was going to happen to them, right? If he didn't know what was going to happen to him, how could he explain it to his disciples? He knew full well what was about to come, and so he begins to explain, and this is how we begin to understand why Christ could be so determined in this moment. Because you see, it was already predetermined what he must do. Why was Christ so determined? Because his mission was predetermined. You see, the same Peter who would deny this Christ is the Peter who would become a great apologist for the resurrected Christ. And he'd become a great apologist for God's foreordained plan. It was this same Peter, one who was walking with him that day, one who had this plan explained to him. The one who would later deny him is the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and began to preach. He is the one in Acts chapter 2 verse 23 who said this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter said what Jesus was doing that day is he was following a predetermined path given him by the Father. This was the plan all along, according to the foreknowledge of God. I want you to turn with me over to the book of First Peter, because I want you to see something else that this same Peter also said. In First Peter chapter 1, and in verse number 17, First Peter 1, Verse 17, this same Peter says this. If you address as father the one who partially judges according to one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn here in this life. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers. Verse 19, look at this. But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And verse 20 is the key. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter says, this mission was foreordained by God. He sent Christ, even though this plan was known all along, he sent Christ in exactly the right time, exactly the right place, exactly the right circumstances. Everything was perfect according to the plan of the Father. That what? That who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And we're going to see that as we go further on in our study this morning of just how central to our gospel, how central to our belief that the resurrection of Christ really is. Peter, the one who denied him, repeatedly confirms to us the importance of this resurrection event. 
So the son had submitted determinedly to the father's will. This was reflected in Jesus' prayer in the garden as well, wasn't it? Where he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he was determined to carry out, to execute the will of the Father. It was made necessary by our sin. And it was for our redemption to the glory of God. You see, God knew you. And God determined the plan for your salvation before the creation of the world. That's grace, isn't it? Before you ever had a chance to do any kind of good, which would never be enough to merit you his favor, before you ever had a chance to do any of that good, God knew you. God determined the plan for your salvation. So Christ's determination in his march toward Jerusalem reveals that determination of the Father to save his people for his glory. You know, would that we might be so determined in our following in the steps of Christ that like Christ submitted to the will of the Father, that we would so submit, that we'd be so determined to follow in His path, to execute His will in our life, that we'd be so focused and determined That we wouldn't be distracted by the cares, concerns, temptations, desires of the world. But that our face would be firmly set upon our Savior Jesus Christ. Upon the mission that he has for us. Because our march is the march of Christ. Our march is the march that leads to ultimate victory. And my prayer is that we would not be so distracted by the things of this world that we lose sight of the mission that he's given us. There was no turning back for Christ. There was no distraction here, no deviation. It was a mission of determination. But secondly, notice from our text back in Mark chapter 10, this was also a mission of condemnation, a mission of condemnation. In verse 33, Mark chapter 10, the Bible says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and they will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Now, notice first in this passage of verse 33, the place of condemnation. He says, behold, we're going up to where? Where are they headed? I'm making sure you're still awake in here. It's a little warm. They're headed to Jerusalem. This is the place where he was to be condemned. They were headed to Jerusalem for the last time. Why is this significant? Understand what's located in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the site of the temple. It's central for the worship of the Jews. And everything that they had done for thousands of years in their worship had been looking forward to this time, to this person. In this place, everything had been pointing toward this Messiah, the one who would come to save his people from their sins. And it is that city that Christ is headed to now. It's in that place that he will be condemned. He came to his own and what happened? His own received him not. And so he is on his way to the place of condemnation. Now notice who are the people of this condemnation in verse 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem 
and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Now, he's going to be betrayed by one of his own, right? And he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. Now, understand what people group this is. These are the Jews. These are his own people. These are the covenant people of God. He'll be condemned by them, but they can't execute. They can't carry out what has to take place. So his own, the Jews are going to deliver him over to who? Well, notice in the same verse, they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So notice the two groups of people we have here involved in this condemnation and death of our Savior, both the Jews and the Gentiles. This is representative of all the people of the world, isn't it? Nobody's left out. You're Jew or you're Gentile at this time. And who was responsible for this condemnation and death? Both were. Both the Jew and the Gentile, all of which were responsible for his death, all of which were sinners in need of his salvation. You see, this is the world for whom Christ died. Elect from every nation. The gospel would go forth triumphantly to all the nations. So we see that the sins of both the Jew and the Gentile, your sin, my sin, was responsible for the condemnation of our Savior Jesus Christ. The same Peter that we talked about earlier preached in that same message in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter was clear in his message who was responsible for the death of Christ. And what Peter is saying is not just that audience that was there today. But it's also you and I. We were responsible for his death. We were responsible for his crucifixion. So the place, the people, but now notice the punishment of this condemnation. What would happen to him as a result of his being condemned? Notice the condemnation according to verse 33 was they will condemn him to what? What are they condemning him to? Death. He's being condemned to death. Jesus talks about how they'll do that. Verse 34, they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then three days later, he'll rise again. So in this process of leading up to his death, Jesus gives these details. He says he'll be mocked. And we see that in chapter 15 of Mark, verse 17 through 20, that that's exactly what they did. Jesus says he'll be scourged. In Mark chapter 15, verse 15, we find that's exactly what he did. He'll be spat upon. We see that in Mark chapter 14, verse 65, and in Mark chapter 15, verse 19. All of these things that he said would take place, they took place. He was rejected by the world, condemned to die. Jesus had told his disciples, if we've discovered in our study of Mark, that we've got to follow him, that we have to take up our cross as he took up his cross. You see, we must also go through the rejection of the world. 
we will be persecuted for the name of Christ. And those who can't bear the thought of maybe being on the outside of things, being rejected, being mocked, being persecuted, or even being killed, Christ is clear. Those are not worthy of being counted as a disciple. Christ was determined in the midst of condemnation, suffering, and agony. You know, even Peter failed. Even Peter denied. But you know the history of Peter? He became a martyr for the gospel. He died for the faith. And though we have failed many times, and though many times we find ourselves trying to fit in with the world, appease the world, failing to stand the truth of the gospel, thank God for his forgiveness. (laughs) Thank God for his grace like he did for Peter. And that's my prayer, even for myself, that though I failed him many times, he would strengthen me as my walk continues, that I would be willing to follow him despite what I may face in this world, even if it means death for the cause of Christ. It's a serious and somber thought, isn't it? And yet that's where Christ went and where he calls his disciples to go. Jesus said they would deliver him over to the Gentiles. This had to be another amazing and frightening thing for his disciples to hear. You see, his disciples were very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. They understood what it meant to be delivered over to the Gentiles. That is to be outside of the covenant community, the Jewish community, the chosen people of God to be delivered over to the outside, to no longer be a part of that community. And yet Jesus says that's exactly what's going to happen to him in his death. He's rejected by his own people. He's delivered over to the Gentiles to carry out the sentence of death. No doubt his disciples would have remembered that what happened every year on the Day of Atonement, there would be an animal sacrificed for the sins of the people. But there was also another special animal that played a part on that day. We call it the scapegoat. There was another animal in which the blood from the sacrifice would be applied to the back of this animal. And this animal would be sent outside of the covenant community, outside the walls, be sent away as representative of carrying away the sins of the people. Outside the camp. Christ would be an ultimate reflection of that picture that we see from the Day of the Atonement. It was pointing toward this time. It was pointing toward him and what he would do. As the sins of the world were laid upon him. And he suffered outside the gates. Outside the community. What a disgrace in the mind of a Jew that he would suffer and die at the hand of Gentiles outside of the covenant community. 
Yet Peter again says this in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter reminds us that that's what Christ was doing. When he was condemned, he took upon him all of our sin. He bore that sin in his own body there on the tree that we also might die to sin and live to righteousness. His mission of victory was a mission of determination. It was a mission of condemnation. Now we get to the enjoyable part, right? It was a mission of resurrection. Notice what Jesus says in verse 34 that they're going to do. Mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. But he says in three days later, he will rise again. That's that joyful celebration that we remember today, isn't it? But understand this. The resurrection was preceded by the mocking and spitting and flogging and killing. You see, there is no resurrection without a cross. You don't get to resurrection Sunday without the Friday death. It was preceded by his death, but the resurrection proved that he was victorious. You see, after all that was done to insult him, in the end, he's the one who rises. Though it looked like victory by the enemy when he's put to death, he proved just otherwise as it's demonstrating the victory of his resurrection. In John 2.19, Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In John 2.21, it says, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When Christ said this, he was talking about his own flesh. He said, You're going to destroy this flesh, this body of mine, but in three days I'm going to do it myself. I will raise it up. He already foretold this resurrection that would come. He proved that he was victorious. But in doing so, he also provided for our victory. One more passage of scripture I want you to turn to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Early in the service, we read the first portion of this chapter, but I want to pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 12. Because I want you to see how central this message is to the gospel. We wear the cross. We put up crosses everywhere to represent our faith. And what happened there upon the cross was absolutely necessary as he bore our sin. But also the resurrection of this same one who died on that cross was just as important for our salvation. Let me show you. First Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we bore witness against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each according to his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Paul here tells us just how central this truth of the resurrection is to the gospel, to our salvation. If Christ has not been raised, then God is a liar. Our faith is worthless. We are still dead in our sins. But he's also clear that that is not the case. Christ indeed is risen. And he's the first fruits of what is to come. And just like his body was resurrected, it's the hope that we have as believers that one day our bodies will also be resurrected like his. It's the hope that we hang on to. I pray that that truth of the resurrection would comfort us today as we set our hope on the glory that is yet to come. When this vile body that we're in is changed to be like him. That was the hope of the apostles. In fact, it's what led to the death of many of them because they held to that central truth, the truth of the resurrection. But it's our hope, just as it was for them, it is our hope today. So today we remember, we rejoice that Christ fulfilled his mission, determined, condemned, but resurrected in victory. And it is through him that we too have the victory to the glory of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. You have been listening to a message by the political pastor from his home pulpit. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Be sure to follow The Political Pastor by visiting thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on the subscribe link at the top of the page and learn how to subscribe to us and our various social media feeds. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ and His salvation, please visit thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on contact at the top of the page and write to us. We welcome the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.